I don't want to be a martyr. No, I. I want to live. That is good. For believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days. A martyr's death. The cross commands you. The blood of the martyrs commands you. I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. All right, we are still in 16th century England because I am quickly becoming Richard Gere and I ain't got no place else to go. No, no. This is actually a really fun time because you get to see so much of the good, the bad, and the ugly of Christianity throughout the year. So, remember in 16th century England, we are in the doctrinal stew, as it were. Protestantism is growing in the early part of the century. It will not be officially official until the middle portion of the century, and then it isn't really solidified until the end of the century. So, 16th century England is the ebb and flow of the history of Protestantism and biblical Christianity as a whole. So, because of that, depending on where you were, who you were, who the area, pastor, priest, bishop, whatever was, you would have this amalgamation of religious beliefs and theological positions. You would have differentiations in the Eucharist, or what we would call communion, on how church polity is supposed to run, on the practices of justification, sanctification, and what role penance would play in the Christian life. So, with that, depending on who was in charge, depending on how zealous the person in charge may or may not have been, could kind of determine whether or not you were just a happy little dissenter or the person nine blocks over because they're in a different parish is a full-blown heretic for holding the exact same beliefs that you do. So this is just a weird little time. So that brings us to the story of Thomas Harding. Now, I know you have no idea who that is, and I wouldn't either if they didn't put his name in a book anywhere. He was born in 1448, and he dies during our events in 1532. You do the math. He's an old man. Now, he has the misfortune, by the providence of God, to be a resident of Amersham in the United Kingdom. Now, uh, you're going, uh, I'm barely an expert on the geography of where I live, much less an Amersham. What's an Amersham? Well, it's about 30 miles northwest of central London. Now, in today's world, that would make Amersham basically a modern-day suburb. However, in that world, it put it just a little bit outside of the authority and power of the wheelers and dealers of London. However, it also puts you just close enough that if you're a local bishop, it would probably behoove you to make a name for yourself by rooting out the heretics. So you're far enough out to be left alone, but close enough in that if somebody decides he wants to move on up in the world and, you know, you know, become like a Jefferson and head on up to the east side, in this case, literally, well, it'd be down on the east side because he'd go southeast to London, then he could make an example out of you. Now, that is Thomas Harding. He becomes associated with the Lollards, and the reason he becomes associated with the Lollards is he was attending their worship services. And at this point, um, in 1532, we are still two years removed from the official licensing of Christianity, the break that Henry VIII will have. So this is still a Catholic country at this point. So worship is done in 
Latin, as it had been done in the church for the better part of a millennia. It would have been anathema to try and have worship services or to read the scripture in such a way that the common folk, (laughs) you know, the hoi polloi, could understand. So during the course of the roundups over the years, Thomas Harding is arrested in 1511, and various Lollards who are hosting these English language worship services are executed. Thomas Harding is spared because he recanted of his beliefs. In 1521, he is arrested again. Various Lollards, I believe uh, about a half a dozen of them, were burned at the stake during this roundup. Thomas Harding, however, is spared because he recants. He is again arrested in 1532, so at this point, Dude has been on the English Catholic radar for two decades, but he's been willing to recant and get away with it. Now, when he's arrested in 1532, though, he has a doubly damnable offense as far as the Catholics of this time period are concerned. He is arrested while actively reading a writing of William Tyndale. That's a no-no, and we'll get to Tyndale at some point sooner than later. Not only that, because there are no real <laughs> rules and regulations here, while Thomas Harding is in jail, they go and round up his wife, and they search his home where they discover, dun-dun-dun, that he has more books by William Tyndale. And since everybody in this time period would know William Tyndale is an evil heretic, you reading William Tyndale makes you an evil heretic. So he is questioned. There's some debate back and forth, uh, nail, uh, nailing down of theological doctrine. Eventually, they get around to a trial, of which you already know what the outcome is going to be. He is tried and convicted of heresy. Now, what's interesting is he gets a double dose in his conviction. He is not just convicted of Lollardy, which would have been bad enough and enough to have him burned at the stake. He is also convicted of Lutheranism. Now, that's interesting because at this point, Lutheranism is about a decade and a half old, but that shows also, you have to ask the question, so hold on, back up real quick. Where would Lutheran ideas get into England? William Tyndale. Remember, William Tyndale on the run ends up in Germany and in those areas of the lowlands for several years and has an influence because of the spread of what is becoming known as Lutheranism in the German provinces, which you got to say German provinces because there really isn't a Germany. And by the way, there really won't be a Germany till like the 20th century. That's just, you know, a little side note there. So <clears throat> when we speak of Germany and Italy during these times, we're speaking very, very anachronistically. So Tyndale's writings are making their way back to the uh, to England, to the United Kingdom. You will eventually see um, Presbyterianism make its way into Scotland thanks to John Knox and his work with the Calvin, uh, Calvinists in uh, Geneva and the surrounding areas. So this conviction, this added conviction, shows that you're really fighting not just English separatism at this point, but you're fighting continental Protestantism at a great at a great growth rate here. It is spreading everywhere. So we're going to have ourselves a good old-fashioned burning. We are going to load up everybody we can find. Now, an interesting note that John Fox marks here is that the priests in the area— which this is not Amersham anymore, I, uh, I, I didn't write it down, but it's another suburb within the same district, which is uh, Buckinghamshire— um, the priests in the area are offering 
indulgences if the people of the village will bring firewood for the burning. Now, what would this indulgence have given them? Because this is one of the things that kicked off the Protestant Reformation was Johann Tetzel's, you know, rallying cry for fundraising. That every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. I don't wonder if it sounded as sweet in German. Since nothing sounds sweet in German, I'm going to bet not. But this was part of the problem is this is selling of salvation in the springing of a made-up place of purgatory. Well, here the indulgences are not quite as bad, depending on how you want to look at it, but since you have a penance and an absolution from a priest still in the system, what the priests in the area were offering were indulgences to sin for a month, and they would all be covered. Isn't that amazing? In an effort to root out the heresy, we are going to sell the work of Christ and offer it in such a trite way that we're going to act like, you know, Romans 6 and 7 just aren't even in the Bible. So yeah, the villagers were basically told you could sin without penalty for a month if you will bring firewood for the burning. So this is a pretty raucous crowd. These guys are, you know, dialed up to 11 here. And while bringing Thomas Harding and his wife to the uh, the soon-to-be funeral pyre, one of the overzealous uh, rioters, executioners, the, the mob, strikes him with a beam that is to be used for firewood, cracking his skull and killing Thomas Harding where he stands in the street. Now, happy, happy, joy, joy, right? Well, no, no, it's not. Rest assured, Christian, this is one of those things you can draw comfort from, even if you don't think you can. This is what the enemy has. The enemy's answer, when confronted with its own sin and hypocrisy, is to sin and hypocrite even harder than before. Your victory, however, is not found in their hypocrisy or in their showing their hypocrisy. Your victory is still and always will be found in Christ. Just know that one of the greatest testimonies of the, church, of the history of the church is the faithfulness of the martyrs in the face of the lunacy and bloodlust of the enemy in this world. Our victory is assured because Christ is assured because it comes from God. That victory is handed out by the promises and accomplishment of God. Therefore, it cannot be shaken and it cannot be taken. So we can enter into this world. We can walk faithfully and know that no matter what may befall us, God's victory in kingdom still stands. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.